Today's Jeep Talk Show is brought to you by Extreme Terrain, leaders in 1987 to 2018 Wrangler parts and accessories. Extreme Terrain makes it easy to mod your Wrangler by providing you with the expertise and customer support from their genuine Wrangler experts. Stay tuned to later in this episode for their community support, public announcement, and your opportunities for scholarship and grant money from Extreme Terrain. And today's Jeep Talk Show is also sponsored in part by Tom Woods Custom Drive Shafts. For over 20 years now, Tom Woods has been providing the off-road industry with some of the strongest, most durable driveline upgrades there are. If you're in the need for the world's best under your own Jeep, well, stay tuned later in the show to find out how you can get 10% off your order between now and the end of June. Until then, head over to 4xshaft.com to start upgrading your ride now and check that purchase when it arrives for a bright, shiny new Jeep Talk Show sticker. And don't forget about Route 16 Off-Road. And I got to say, how could you? It's veteran-owned, operated, and community-focused brand. Route 16 Off-Road works hard to get you the best deals possible on parts, accessories you want. Let Route 16 help you find the next replacement part or upgrade. Check them out. Route16.com. That's R-O-O-T-O-N-E-S-I-X.com. You're listening to a 4x4 Radio Network Podcast. Are you ready? It's the Jeep Talk Show. With Tammy on Wrangler. Tony and Josh on Cherokee. So sit back. Strap in. And brace yourself. All right, Tammy, this is not a trick question. Do you know what ham radio is? Uh, isn't that like a CB, Tony? Um, Josh, do you know what a ham radio is? Well, Tammy, I'm I'm glad you asked. Actually, well, I'm not going to spoil it by going into a 15-minute explanation like I do with everything else. So we're just going <laughs> to let our interview, uh, Katie Allen, uh, Whiskey Yankee 7 Yankee Lima, tell us and help us understand coming up in a few minutes here on the Jeep Talk Show. Local Jeep news, national Jeep news, and news from around the world. It's This Week in Jeep. And This Week in Jeep is brought to you by Amazon.com. If you've ever wondered if there's a way to support the show without having to crack a joke or leave a message, then <laughs> use our link to shop online. Just go to jeeptalkshow.com slash Amazon, and a small fraction from, from anything you purchase there using that link will go towards the Jeep Talk Show. If you like what you hear or have gotten any benefit from what we do here, then please consider giving back. That's jeeptalkshow.com slash Amazon, or just click the Amazon button on our website. Well, you remember us breaking the story back in 2015 about one of the Italian police departments, who is known for having flashy exotic vehicles in their motor pool, announced they were going to be adding several just-released Jeep Cherokees to their fleet. This was a shock, as there was very little fleet demand for the resurrected name badge. And finding its new home amongst Lamborghinis and Ferraris, the new little Cherokee ended up making a well, decent little name for itself. And though it's no Lamborghini cop car, the Italian police department has done it again. Although this time they have a brand new custom Wrangler that will patrol the beaches of Romagna, Italy this summer. The Wrangler wears all the badges and colors of the military police force. Other upgrades include a flashing light and siren with telescoping mount, machine gun holder, portable radios, and other police-specific gear holders. Now, under the hood is a 2.8-liter turbo diesel engine with an automatic transmission. 
To increase its off-road chops, the vehicle received a 2-inch lift kit by Fox Performance, an upgraded front steering stabilizer, front and rear molded splash guards, and side mudguard extensions for, you know, when the officers want to go splashing in the wet sand at low tide. <laughs> now, there are the wheels, then. They have 17-inch Performance Gladiator black alloy rims wrapped with 32-inch all-terrain tires. Keeping people safe during the busy summer season, the Wrangler will patrol an 18-mile area, the Romagna Riviera, that includes popular resorts. Now, this is also the first time such an operation of this size and scale will have been conducted in Italy. I think we got a Jeep lover and uh, somebody in government there. Uh, that's, uh, that's a pretty nice little setup. Yeah, it really is. Now, I mean, the Italian police departments, and there, which there are are many, it's not just one uh, here. They, they, you've seen the Lamborghini Italian police cars. I mean, come on, you know, it's it's, it's Italy. It's made in Italy. You, you got, you might as well have a Ferrari right. in there too, right? Uh, but the Jeeps, however, is a whole another aspect of this. But I mean, seriously, if you need, I mean, if you're a law enforcement agency and you need to patrol 18 miles of beachfront property. Really, there's only one vehicle that you should be picking to do it, and that's a Jeep Wrangler. Oh, I agree. And uh, going doing it in style is always a big help. Uh, anybody, do you guys know Italian? It'd be nice if we could get a Jeep Talk Show sticker on that uh, that Wrangler. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I'm pretty I sure that those uh, those <laughs> Actually, envelopes would be shredded immediately upon seeing. <laughs> my my um my son sent Flat Stanley to Lamborghini, and they sent him a letter back. So maybe I can have my son send something over to. Italy, and they can put it on. Oh, cool. Like to see that. Would definitely like to see that. Hey, I mean, they may even fly us out to the uh, the Italian Riviera. Wouldn't that be nice? Sure. Oh, sure. There you go. Did you hit your head recently? <laughs> yeah, I must have, really. <laughs> dreams, dreams, dreams. Well, this guy probably needs a nice swift kick to the head. A thief is loose in New Hampshire. Now, police are looking for a man they say stole a Jeep from a local car dealership. At 11 a.m. June 21st, police took a report from a dealership about a man who entered into an agreement to buy a gray 2018 Jeep Wrangler Rubicon. The man, 36-year-old Peter Dotzel, also had a woman with him. He took the Jeep with dealer registration plate 229-7669 and was supposed to return to finish the deal, but he didn't. Dotzel is last known to be living in the Pennsylvania area. Now, he and the woman arrived in a black, newer-style Jeep Grand Cherokee with Pennsylvania plates. Dutzel is believed to be moving between the Piermont, New Hampshire area and the area of Jeff- Jeffersonville and Stowe, Vermont. He is wanted out on theft and fraud charges out of Pennsylvania, as well as various parole violations. Dutzel is about 5 feet 8 inches tall, weighs 230 pounds, has brown hair, hazel eyes, tattoos on his left arm, and he sometimes goes by the alias Peter Smith. He may have other aliases as well. Now, if you see this guy or either of the Jeeps that either they stole or arrived at the dealership in, you can, or if you can even identify the woman that he was with, they would really like to know that information. Call the local police department or the Lebanon Police Department at 603-448-1212. Anonymous tips can be given through the tip line at 603-448-CLUE or online at LebanonNH.gov slash clue. So, you know, I, I think you left something out there at five foot eight inches uh, tall, weighs 230 pounds, has brown hair, and a great personality. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know about that last part, though. Uh, it sounds like this guy's a little douchey. I mean, to go into a dealership, sign all the papers and everything. I, I, we don't even know if this guy really gave them the right information or not, no. but uh, nonetheless, uh, he drove off the lot without paying for this Jeep and uh, and had given them at least partially false information 
I mean, this guy is definitely wanted for for grand theft larceny. So you know, I, I, you you hear stuff about this, and you go, "How in the world can somebody do something like this?" You ain't going to go far. I mean, you, how long are you going to be able to keep that Jeep? It's it's just not going to happen. And, yeah, I mean, and then when you started reading all the parole violations and everything like that, it's just a series of uh, exactly poor, poor choices. So it made a lot more sense. Yeah, so um, this guy's picture is all over the internet. Um, you type in Pennsylvania stolen Jeep Gray, and you're going to be finding this guy all over the place. Um, we gave you guys the information. Uh, we'll have this information out on our website if you need to, to get that link or those phone numbers. Uh, we'll have those in the show notes for this episode at jeeptalkshow.com. And hey, if you guys have a news tip or you have a response to any one of our stories, we'd love to hear from you. Just make sure to let us know by phone or by email even. Head over to jeeptalkshow.com slash contact and find out how. Hey, coming up later in the show, we told you a little bit about it in the opening. Well, ham radio operator Katie Allen is going to join us to talk all about amateur radio operation. This is Steve, 4.3LXJ, with another Jeep tip. And continuing with our series on the Dana 30 axle, I'd like to talk about axle shafts now. And uh, up to... Uh, 1995 in the YJ, 1993 in the XJ, and 1992 in the MJ. And if you have those vehicles, you know which ones I'm talking about. Uh, the uh, uh, axle shafts were a 27 spline, and they had a U-joint designated by Spicer as the 260X. And uh, this is known as the small joint. And uh, there's really nothing wrong with them. They're a decently strong joint. Um, we used to drag race with them on our CJs, and uh, we'd put 32-inch uh, tires on and wind it up to about uh, five or six grand, dump the clutch, and off we'd go. And, you know, front end is up in the air, and tires are spinning, and, and uh, nobody really ever had a real problem with them. But... Uh, uh, when you get into heavier vehicles and you start using lockers in uh, situations with rocks, then you can have uh, a U-joint failure. And generally, it is not the U-joint itself. It is the collar in the uh, axle shaft itself that fails. And so Spicer came up with a larger U-joint, the 760X, and this came out in 2000. And beyond, and it is the same U joint that is used in the Dana 44s. So, what it amounts to is, you if you have a uh, uh, a white or TJ Rubicon, let's say, with a Dana 44 front end and lockers and all that stuff, you have the same U joint as is available in, let's say, a 2000 uh, Cherokee. So uh, it's the larger size, and again, it's not the joint itself that fails. It is generally the uh, collar, the yoke, that holds the U-joint in. And what happens is, is somebody that has lockers or whatever will try to make a sharp turn, and it, it changes the forces on the uh, yoke to more towards the outside instead of straight on 90-degree uh, rotation to the axle shaft, and it's too much for it. And so it'll split that yoke and make it, so uh, uh, you are done for the day unless you have another axle shaft. So how do you uh, how do you get around this? Well, you can you can buy uh, aftermarket axle shafts, and we'll talk about that some other time. But there is a little piece of metal you can buy it, or you can make it, whatever you want to do. 
that is in the shape of the yoke that goes over the U-joint cup. They're usually dimpled a little bit so that they can do that. And you can weld those on there. And that will keep your uh, yokes from falling apart during a hard turn and uh, when there's a lot of pressure on it. It's a simple thing. You can do it uh, for 50 cents if you make your own. You can do it for 10, 20 bucks if you want to buy them. And it makes your axle shafts much stronger when they need to be in that tight turn. For now, that's it for today, and we'll see you on the trail. And coming up in Tech Talk, part two of Cooling System Basics. You don't want to miss this, especially during the summer. You're listening to a 4x4 Radio Network podcast. And we'd like for you guys to go check out the 4x4 Radio Network website if you haven't been there recently. Well, the next time you're online, just pop over to 4x4radionetwork.com. You'll see the Jeep Talk Show there, of course, but we've got something for, well, all your other non-Jeep buddies, too. It's okay. It's not their fault. We understand. But be sure to tell them about the 4x4 podcast, the Center Steer podcast, the Trail Chasers podcast, and our newest member, the On the Trail podcast. We got something for everybody. Everybody's got a past they're not too proud of, Josh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> shut up and listen. Shut up. So shut up. You don't shut Man, up. Shut up, Shane. Hey. Shut up and listen. It's time for Wrangler talk. It's time for G-Mama. Tammy, I, ha- I have to admit that I was reading here in the show notes and I misread that uh, that first line. I, I thought it said yeah. something else. <laughs> I was... <laughs> I just looked at it myself, and I'm like, "Wait, what did I write?" Um, today, I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna continue with my how tos. I've put aside the top fives for a little bit, but they'll come back. Don't worry. Um, so this one is how to use your auto stick, and some people don't even know that the Jeeps have this. Um, I know one Jeeper accidentally found out about it because he accidentally knocked his shifter and it went into this mode so what is it auto stick is in the automatic jeeps um i don't know what years they are i don't um i'm not sure how far back this goes but basically it's a manual without a clutch and my understanding is several different jeeps have this not just the wranglers And it's not just Jeeps that have this, but several other Chrysler, Ram, Dodge, and Mercedes vehicles also have this um, similar system. And another similar system called Tiptronic was designed by Porsche. So they're similar, but not the same. But what I'm going to share with you is what I know about AutoStick and when I use it. Um, I did not know that this was in my Jeep until I took my first off-roading class um, with off-road consulting, and that's when I first learned how to use it. It was the the second thing I learned. First, I learned how to shift into four low, and then I was told about this um, system that the Jeep has. And it's a driver interactive transmission feature providing manual shift control giving you more control of your Jeep, and it maximizes engine braking. It's going to eliminate undesirable upshifts and downshifts, and it's going to basically improve overall vehicle performance. Now, for me, I get the most out of this feature when I'm off-road, especially when I'm crawling over those rocky trails and maybe going down some inclines um, that are rocky. 
Now, here's how you use it. It's super easy. And if you have ever learned how to drive um, a manual, it will just become second nature to you when you're off-roading. And what you do is when your shifter is in drive, you either you can tap to the right or the left. You just kind of push your shifter knob slightly over. And you know you have this system in your Jeep if there's a little plus or minus insignia on the control what would you call that? Is it the, the shifter console. stick? Yeah, if, it's not on the stick itself, okay. but down 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 near where it would say DP. Oh, all right. And yeah, to the sides of the of the stick on the the, the label right. thing, right? Yeah, on the control console, I right. guess. I don't. Um, so that's when you know you have it. So when you're in drive and you're in four low, and you want to use this. And basically what it does is helps you slow down that Jeep and helps you to not use your brakes as much. So to engage it, you just tap it to the left, the negative side, once. And if you look on your instrumental instrument panel where it says P and I forget the order of it, P, R, N. Right. Anyway, um, the when it's not in use, the D will be outlined with a square a little box around it right yep and so then when you hit it to the left right next to the d comes the number one and that's going to be boxed in so now you're in auto stick mode so when you're driving on the trails and you want to change gears from first second third and fourth you just tap it to the right and it will then go from first to second which will speed you up a little bit second to third and third to fourth and you can switch between these as you're driving on the trails. And for me, it works really, really good when you want to do that really slow crawl. And there's other a Jeep in front of you. And you don't want to just keep tapping the brakes. And it's just a nice, smooth crawl over the rocks. You need to speed up a little. Then you flick it over to second gear and so on. Now, I did a video, gosh, last Sunday. And when I was out wheeling Saturday, which, by the way, I went off-roading on Saturday, Josh and Tony, um, and I went on a purple, I went on a purple trail. My <laughs> first, they they actually call them purple trails now. They've there's added. A, there's now a picture of Tammy on the yes, uh, purple trail. I was going to say they call them purple trails <laughs> now that they got a series of strongly worded letters from a certain blogger. Right. But I, you know, whatever. Right. Um, and, and it's a mixture of a blue-black trail. But um, anyway, so <laughs> the Icantina Turner Trail. <laughs> I, oh, I totally, lo- totally, totally <laughs> lost my, totally lost my train of thought. That's my fault. <laughs> yeah, no. So anyway, when I was oh, so this while I was out there, I recorded myself from the dash as I'm rolling on this rocky trail, and I'm talking to you guys, saying, "Okay, look, I'm in first gear now." Okay, now I'm in second gear. And you can see how my Jeep picks up speed and slows down speed. And I'm not using the brakes and I'm not using the gas at all. So if you go over to my YouTube channel, you can actually see the auto stick in action. Um, And that's, you can just Google Jeep Mama and you can find it. And um, so anyway, that's the auto stick. It's a really cool feature. And just try it out when you're driving around. Just, you know, practice using it. And I think you can use it when you're in just regular mode driving on the highway too, but I 
haven't found a need for that. But in your owner's oh. manual, yeah, go ahead, I was Josh. Gonna, I was going to say, Tammy, you're going to find a need for it this winter. Uh, a feature of this uh, that you you didn't cover on that that not too many people know about, and it's it's different between the models and and of course uh, different makes of cars as well. But um, this feature can be used in icy and snowy weather to start off in second or even third gear from a stop. Ordinarily, your automatic oh. transmission would just dump you right into first gear, which obviously in a Jeep, especially in a Jeep, has a little more torque than let's say you have traction for. So um, right. There, if you want to start off with a lot less torque in, in a much higher gear, giving you a much slower start and easier roll in into that, into you know, getting up to speed and whatnot, you can activate this feature, put it into second or third gear, depending on how severe the, the, the conditions are, and start off without any wheel spin. So the huh. you, your Jeep has a traction control um, uh, yeah. uh, component to it, doesn't it? So yeah. it probably handles the snow and stuff great for you. Um, well, and actually, I was just looking at the manual because Josh reminded me. It also gives you more control during passing, city driving, cold, slippery conditions, mountain driving, trailer towing, oh, and many that. other situations. Yeah. So I guess it's something that I'm going to, you know, try out as I'm be, doing my daily driving as well. Be careful with it. I mean, you've heard how the engine RPMs get up really high uh, the faster you go when it's in first. Right. Um, you, I, I think they all have uh, rev limiters now, but uh, bouncing off the red limiter does not sound fun, and right. uh, can uh, make a give you a problem uh, later on with the longevity of the engine. So um, I, I would be, you know, don't try it, <laughs> but I'd be curious to know with that uh, smart button uh, Rubicon that you had that if you actually tried to put it in first, going fifty miles uh, or no, faster. It won't. If it, it would let, let you. you or not? Yeah, I wouldn't think that it would let you. No, it's it's actually it's actually part of the 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 safety interlocks in these systems that yes, it will drop you down into redline if you want to, but it will not drop you into first gear. So if you wanted to, you're, you're coming down a hill and you're 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 in fifth gear and you need to accelerate really quickly and you have this feature activated, you can immediately drop into first without having to bump your RPMs, get that downshift, and then accelerate. You can drop it into into fourth gear or even third, bring those RPMs up instantaneously, and get yourself into that power band to pass that semi going downhill or you know whatever you got to do. Exactly. So this is kind of common, uh, having the ability to shift into different gears. And uh, I think it's one of the questions I had asked, uh, asked you guys in chat uh, not too long ago since uh, – uh, I'm looking at uh, you know the Atlas, a higher uh, ratio uh, on the transfer case, and I was a little concerned about mine not being able to put it in first gear. I mean, it, it'll go into first gear, but on my shifter, it's labeled one two, so I can't select only first gear. If I get going fast enough, it's going to automatically shift me into second. So I was kind of curious, Tammy, when you're off road uh, and crawling over those rocks, do you keep it in first, or where would you say the predominant uh, gear is that you're that you're in crawling over rocks? Um, when it's, when I'm going over like medium sized rocks, I guess from small to medium, I'm usually in first or second most of the time when I get out into like smoother trails, like over the grass, grassy type trails, or just, you know, like your dirt roads, I'm usually in four drive, Right. but it's Makes those sense. rocky. Yeah. It's those rocky trails and the kind of the inclines or the declines. Um, 
I'm in first. Yeah, it's always nice to be able to use the engine uh, to slow you down instead of it and ride the brakes and getting right. heated up and then uh, losing their, right. uh, their ability to brake. And to turn this system off, you just hold the shifter to the right for about three seconds and you'll see the light in your dash go back and box over that D for drive. So it's super easy to use and it it's, gives you so much more control when you're off-roading. So have you ever been in a situation where you had it in the auto stick mode and you were kind of like, oh God, what the hell's going on? And then you had to look around to try to figure out where it was and then fix it? I mean, early on, I would I would think. You you mentioned somebody that uh, accidentally got in this. Were they able to figure out yeah. how to get out of oh, it? Oh yeah. Um, and the thing is you hear your engine revving, you know, the RPM's going up. So you know something's not right and you're like, oh shit, I'm going down this hill. <laughs> I need to get out of first and go into... Um, you know, I can see that would be kind of panicky. I always worry about making my, my Jeep, uh, too complex for one of the family members to drive. And I would, I would think that this from the factory is complex and maybe too complex for a family member to drive. So it's an awesome, super easy system. Um, I love it. Do you know if this is, uh, in more models uh, other than the Rubicon? Yeah. Oh yeah. I think I want to. I don't know specifically which Jeeps, but it, maybe the Patriot. The oh, okay. Yeah, the the other those other Jeeps right. have it too. I think the Grand Cherokee, maybe even. Oh, I bet you so. They a lot yeah. of people like to run those things, uh, <laughs> do a little street racing with them. So, uh, it's and virtually nice. virtually every Chrysler vehicle uh, just about ever made since '97. Okay, there you go. I knew it was a, quite a few. But mine's a 98, Josh. I don't have no plus minus on mine. No, well, I yours mean, is, well, yours, yours is a Jeep, not a Chrysler. Oh, yeah. Okay. I see what you're saying. Ah. So there you go, folks. Auto stick. Um, and coming up later in the show, guess who's calling in again? Nikki G. All right, guys, you've heard about uh, us, uh, the show, the not not us personally, but the show being on uh, the Amazon Echo, also known as the Alexa. Well, you can uh, quite easily add that to your uh, Amazon Echo repertoire by simply going and, uh, well, saying this. Alexa, ask the Jeep Talk Show to play the latest episode. Welcome. You can listen to all the episodes of Jeep Talk Show, a Jeep podcast, including new episodes as they are released. For now... You'll start with the most recent episode, but you can change by skipping forward or backward. You can even say how many episodes you'd like to skip. So just go over to your Amazon Echo account, uh, your app on your smartphone, and enable the Jeep Talk Show uh, for your Amazon, and you can listen to all the episodes right there off of your Amazon Echo. Hey, and speaking of using your phone or uh, pretty much any other electronic device, pretty much anywhere where you can find us using those devices, well, you can find a way to leave us a review. Um, and, of course, if you want to leave those five-star reviews, those are awesome. We love those. And, of course, if you want to leave a comment as well, oh, that's great. And we love reading those on the air as well. We've got a couple this week. In fact, uh, we have, uh, well, from Facebook, it's been really active this yeah. week, hasn't it, Tony? It really has been. So we have uh, Solon F. Jr. just uh, very simply gave us a five out of five stars, a person of very few words. And then we have Jamie B. gave us five out of five stars. He says, I'm a new Jeep owner, and I have learned so much from the show. 
I have a black 2004 Jeep Wrangler Rubicon, and listening to the show helps me locate and repair my Jeep's death wobble. Thanks for putting on such a fun and informative show. Hashtag Black Jeeps are best. Hey, Josh. <laughs> oh, come on. I thought I was going to. You know the kids want to hear it. <laughs> um, hey, Tony and Josh, what do you think about sending um, Solon and Jamie one of those Jeep Tux show stickers that we have? Oh, man, that's a great idea. Absolutely not. I don't. <laughs> who? <laughs> I forgot Josh is paying for the stickers. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a great idea. Hey, if you guys would like to uh, like to send us in your uh, your name and address, uh, mailing address, we can uh, get uh, those uh, Jeep Talk Show stickers out to you uh, for, uh, you know, interacting with the show. We appreciate that. And if other people want to, uh, well, I don't know, interact with us in other ways, Tony, how else could they get themselves a sticker? Uh, well, you know, you can go over to jeeptalkshow.com slash contact and uh, find all the ways you can interact with us. I mean, uh, Josh, we've had emails in about problems uh, that uh, uh, people have asked that you've answered on uh, the the uh, Tech Talk segment. Uh, we've got reviews. We've got voicemails. There's a, a bunch of different ways that you can uh, go about getting your own very own Jeep Talk Show sticker. There is one thing that you have to do for us, though. When you get that sticker, we got to have a picture of it on your Jeep. Well, and you got to post that up on Facebook. You get those hashtags in there. You got to let us know. Yep. And of course, oh, uh, love seeing wanna, it. Yeah, and of course, if you guys really want to uh, take it to the next level, well, you could subscribe to the show and actually become a supporter of the Jeep Talk Show. And of course, once doing that, uh, if you subscribe to the show via PayPal, we're actually going to give you stickers. Yeah, you can uh, go over there to uh, JeepTalkShow.com, and you'll see very easily where you can subscribe to the show. For twelve, twenty-four, or forty-eight dollars a year, uh, that you know that's less than twenty-five cents an episode, and that's for three people. Tammy, are you worth twenty-five cents an episode? Oh, I'm worth more than that. So you're getting more value <laughs> from just Tammy. But you know that's that's like a dollar a month. So uh, now you can get a, a sticker with your subscription. Once you subscribe, just send us a message and let us know that you want a sticker. Go to jeeptalkshow.com/contact for all the ways to contact us, and don't forget to include a mailing address because the kind of important. Well, the the PayPal the, the PayPal part. address that you put on there may not be the most current one, and you know we want to make sure the sticker gets to you. You got tech questions? Ah, oh, what do I ever? We have answers. Oh, that's good, because I can... It's Tech Talk with Jeep Talk. Yahoo! Last week, we started this multi-part series in cooling system basics after a listener, Jared from Arizona, wrote in asking if there's anything he should know about his Jeep's cooling system to avoid the chances of overheating in the future. We covered the number of components likely to be found in your Jeep system and started identifying what they are and what they do. We made it through six of the 10 most common, and today we're going to wrap up that list and even cover some of the tips and tricks that may help you along the way to keeping your Jeep from overheating this summer. Now, from last week, we learned about the radiator and its cap. We talked about the coolant and its recovery tank for the coolant, and we even got into some specifics behind the fans underneath the hood and the clutch that controls one of them. And today we're going to start with what drives all this stuff. Yes, no, I know, it's you. Who else is driving your Jeep? But that's not what I mean. Something has to do all the work of connecting all the mechanical and passive components so they can all work together. The simplest means of doing this is through the fan belt. Whether you call it just 
the belt or serpentine belt or fan belt, whatever it is, this is the strip of rubber that is wrapped around all those pulleys underneath your hood. The belts are responsible for driving the water pump as well as other accessories like the alternator, AC compressor, and power steering pump. But you want to be sure that your belt is in good shape and properly adjusted. This is a key component here. If the belt looks worn or cracked, if there's chunks missing, then it definitely needs to be replaced. Now, if on some mornings you start your Jeep and a squealing noise comes blaring from underneath the hood, well, then you know the belt is slipping and is in need of an adjustment at the very least. You never want to over-tighten belts. It's very easy to do, in fact. And an over-tightened belt puts an unnecessary load on the pressures on the water pump impeller shaft and bearings. And with enough time, premature water pump failure is inevitable. And not to mention it's hard on the other accessory drives as well. And if, you, if your water pump or other components don't fail first, well, the belt is going to be stretched after being over-tightened and wearing at an accelerated rate, getting hotter than it should and wearing faster than it should. It, too, will inevitably fail sooner than expected. Now, sticking with the rubber theme here, the radiator hoses are the highways and byways of the cooling system and, uh, and responsible for carrying coolant to and from the engine from the radiator. Now, these two should be regularly checked for signs of advanced deterioration. The most common things you'll want to look for are bulging and cracking. The healthy hoses should be firm but pliable, not soft and spongy. And if you have a hose in your hand that feels hard and brittle, well, you're going to want to replace that immediately. And of course, if you ever see any signs of leakage, well, it means it's time for a replacement. Now, holding coolant and pumping the coolant and taking the heat out of it and driving all those components, it all has to work together seamlessly, and it needs a boss in order to do that. Sure, nobody but the engine tells the water pump what to do, just like nobody puts baby in the corner. And it's not like that coolant is going to go anywhere on its own. So what controls this symphony of constant cooling going on under the hood of your Jeep? Well, the thermostat is the maestro of this whole thing. The thermostat is responsible for regulating the flow of coolant into the engine block. It keeps the engine block at its optimum operating temperature. When the engine is cold, the thermostat closes up to restrict coolant flow and allows the engine to quickly reach a satisfactory operating temperature. As the engine heats up, the thermostat opens up and allows more coolant to circulate through the engine. Now, being one of the smallest components on the list, it arguably has one of the most important jobs in the system. A sticky thermostat can stop or restrict coolant flow to the engine and give you a very bad day faster than you can say presto. Now, and speaking of pumping, we wrap up our list with the very heart of the system. The water pump is how a continuous flow of coolant is delivered through the radiator and through the rest of the engine and the cooling system. A paddle-style impeller mounted inside the water pump housing, rotating on a bearing-supported shaft, is responsible for moving the coolant around. The impeller shaft is driven externally by a pulley-belt combination that is connected to the crankshaft pulley. And we kind of covered all this in the belt section there. Now, these are all parts that you see more prevalent when opening up your Jeep's hood. Now, keeping the coolant clean and fresh and the belts properly tensioned is really about all the maintenance a water pump is ever going to require. Now, this isn't the end-all, be-all of cooling system components. We didn't really cover the heater core or things like temperature sending units and specific types of coolant. These topics start to breach subjects that really go in a little bit more in-depth conversation than just going over the basics and can vary dramatically depending on year and model of your Jeep. There are, however, several tips and tricks that transcend Jeep year and model, but you're going to have to wait until next week to hear all that. <laughs> oh, you tease. Darn <laughs> <laughs> Well, hey, if you guys have anything to add, maybe you have a question for Tech Talk, just jump over to jeeptalkshow.com slash contact, send us a message, and we'll get back to you. Actually, I do have a question, Josh, uh, or at least uh, possibly... Well, I'm going to need you to go over to the website <laughs> and get... <laughs> <laughs> and possibly dispel a, a, a rumor that a lot of people, uh, that I still see on the forums, 
Uh, do not ever pee in the radiator. I'm sorry. I know that it's a you know old wives' tale that says it's the best thing ever, but you just don't want to do it. But you you need that yellow color. Um, so uh, it's got to help. It's got to help something. Anyway, uh, the uh, thermostat uh, putting a lower uh, value thermostat. They come like uh, for the Cherokees. You can get like a 190, a 180, a 160. Um, people will, if they're having some uh, running hot issues or it's overheating, uh, sometimes people will uh, put a, a value, a lower value uh, thermostat uh, in there uh, so, the, it, so the engine will run cooler. And that's not going to help you. Not necessarily, no. I mean, essentially, you're not putting in a, a thermostat with a larger throat. I mean, it's, it's just going to be moving the same amount of coolant through it as the you know the uh, thermostat that's supposed to be in there. So let's say your 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 Jeep calls for a 195 degree thermostat, um, and you think, well, I've been overheating a little bit lately. Maybe I'll just go ahead and throw a 180 degree thermostat in there. Bring that down 15 degrees. I should be fine, right? No, not necessarily. Yes, that thermostat is going to open up at a lower temperature, but that's not going to mean that your Jeep is going to maintain that temperature. Uh, you're obviously you have an issue where there is something that is causing the cooling system not to work as well as it should, meaning that your engine is operating at a higher temperature than it should. And a thermostat is not going to be the fix. Now, if you have a sticky thermostat uh, or one that is failing and it's failing somewhere between, you know, closed and not open all the way. Uh, well, then in that th in that case, it will fix the issue. But right. typically that is not what, you know, if you're overheating, it's likely not the thermostat. Yeah, because uh, a thermostat does not cool or heat uh, the, the coolant. It only opens Correct. and closes to allow flow. Uh, and it stays closed so that the, the operating temperature of the engine can rise to where it needs to be for the computer to be the most uh, energy efficient, you know, to get the best miles per gallon out of it. Uh, mm -hmm. Another thing you don't want to do is remove the thermostat. However, if your thermostat isn't opening and you need to get to where you need to go, removing the thermostat would be the way to do it, but get you another thermostat in there as, as, as quickly as you can. And if you measure your miles per gallon, uh, if you don't, or you have a lower thermostat, uh, lower temperature thermostat in there, you may see a drop in your uh, MPGs. That's right. Now, yeah, I, if the Go ahead, Tammy. Um, I just have a question. Um, Please. When I I have the menu button on my Jeep and I can see the different systems on my mm -hmm. um, center console, and it gives me my coolant temperature, my oil pressure temperature, and my transmission temperature, that means nothing to me. Oh, it should. I mean, you should know no, those I, things. No, I know, but how do I find out what my coolant temperature should be? How do I find out what my oil pressure should be? How do I find out what my transmission temperature should be? So are those I mean, things just, not always displayed? You actually have to go into the menu to see them? Yes. That makes to, it I difficult. Mean, yeah. Um, so, I mean, I have the, you know, the other gauges where it shows, but how do I know if it's supposed to be at 181 or 205? I can't remember what they're at. How do I, I, well, know? I, don't, I, I would say I don't by, by looking at it, whenever it's normally, I mean, like, especially when you got it new uh, for different, different seasons, different air temperatures, and you just know what it's supposed to be. The Cherokees are, are 210. Everybody knows, lives by the 210 on the, on the gauge. Yeah, well, not everybody would know magic. that. Well, that's the magic number for, for the four liter for, you know, the 3.6 to 3.7 liter Pentastar engines, it, you know, it's going to be a slightly different number. Right. Um, you know, oil pressures are going to be slightly different. And again, 
depending on engine load, exterior temperatures, mileage on the engine, what, you know, kind of oil you're running, you know, there are so many factors that can change these numbers, you know, at any given time in any given conditions. So, you know, there, there are parameters in which the engine is supposed to be running under, you know, it's, it's supposed to be this temperature or below, it's supposed to be this PSI or less, it's supposed to be, and so, and these numbers, you know, vary between year and model of Jeep. And so that, that information is, if it's not in the owner's manual, uh, it is available online or through the dealership. If you are uh, curious about, you know, these kind of numbers for your own Jeep. Yeah, generally speaking, the uh, the Jeep's going to let you know if there's a uh, there's a problem right. uh, with one of those things. But I would say uh, just uh, make note of it, mental note of it, or even you can even write it down. Uh, this is what I noticed in uh, the dead of winter when it was 32 degrees out. This is what my oil pressure was, and you'll notice that the oil pressure is uh, much higher whenever it's cold out, and will stay higher for a longer period of time. Uh, during the summer, it's the the oil is going to get thinner because of the heat from the engine and uh, the surrounding air temperatures, and it's going to thin out, and the oil pressure is going to drop. So, uh, I would say the best answer is is that you just got to pay attention to your vehicle, and and once you know your vehicle, you'll know any other vehicle that has the three point six, and it's the 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 Wrangler. Uh, it probably doesn't matter if it's the Sport, the Sahara, or the Rubicon; those will probably yeah. all be about the same. Yeah, like the trim, the trim level isn't really going to have that big of an effect on things. Now, obviously, if you have a V8 versus a V6 engine, that's going to have a difference. Right. Uh, uh, and you know, depending on where you live, uh, yeah, that might have some differences as well. Altitude might have something to do with it. And again, yeah, what kind and type viscosity of oil you're running, you know, all so many factors as we discussed. So, but Tammy, for 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 you, start monitoring these numbers just to kind of get an idea of what they normally are. Well, I noticed that I'm normally in between you know, 190 and 205 for my temperature. I notice that I'm normally around 50 PSI, give or take, you know, five when I'm, when I'm driving around uh, for my oil pressure and, and just kind of you know, get these mental understandings in the back of your head of what things typically are and what, and what they should be on an average day, you know, and then you can kind of start comparing against that as time goes on. Oh, you know, I was, uh, we went on a road trip and I noticed that, uh, you know, after a couple hours on the freeway, uh, you know, it was this versus that when I'm, you know, just commuting to work, you know, things like right. that. Right. Sounds like a good, get a little journal and keep, keep track of it there. There you go. Yep. Soon it'll just be second nature that you'll know that right. it's supposed to be around this, you know, it's plus or minus right. this and it's, it's normal. It's fine. That type of thing. You're listening to Jeep Talk Show, the number one Jeep podcast at my mom's house. Well, Extreme Terrain has been involved in the Jeep and off-roading community for, well, quite some time now, and as well as being sponsors of the Jeep Talk Show since 2017. Now, as Wrangler experts, their mission has always been to provide the highest levels of customer support, knowledge, and aftermarket parts for the YJs, TJs, JKs, and the, even the 2018 JL Wranglers. Giving back to the community that supports them is also very high on their list of priorities. You may have seen or heard on last week's episode about the TJ build they worked on for Make-A-Wish. Make-A-Wish teen Earl, a.k.a. EJ. Now today we wanted to tell you about a few more ways in which Extreme Terrain has given back. Click on their link in today's show notes and you guys can find out more information on some of XT's past charity builds, the organizations they, uh, they sponsor and support, as well as information on their clean trails and scholarship programs. Did you know or uh, did you know your local club can 
Get a grant and supplies from Extreme Terrain to clean up or improve your local off-roading trail? Did you know about their biannual scholarship program where they award $6,000 yearly for students pursuing degrees in environmental studies and research, land use, earth and atmosphere studies, sustainable land management, parks and recreation, or sustainable agricultural systems? We'd just like to say thank you, Extreme Terrain, for your support this month on the Jeep Talk Show. And as always, click the link on this week's show notes to learn more about how Extreme Terrain gives back. I tell you what, I've been really impressed with that company. They mm-hmm. do a lot of stuff besides just selling uh, stuff. I was starting to say started to say selling crap. It's not crap, but you know, just no. the the same the same thing where people just sell you, sell you, sell you. They really give back, and I, they're I, very active. I, yeah. I love that we're we're associated with them. I'm lo- I love that they they choose to advertise with us. I love that association. It's it's more than just uh, you know buy stuff from me. Uh, we we love helping out the, the Jeep community. Tom Woods has been doing only four-wheel drive, drive shafts, and slip yoke eliminators for 20 years. As an American-owned operating company, they have uh, provided solutions trusted by your average weekend wheeler all the way through rock-crushing rigs at King of the Hammers. If you have a Jeep, Tom Woods Custom Drive Shafts has a solution for you. Using their in-house developed gold seal universal joints, you can count on the strength of your drive shaft at its weakest point and most abused points. Uh, and if you're concerned about the warranties, it doesn't get any better than their trail hazard protection. If a weld ever breaks, they take care of it. If a gold seal universal joint breaks, they take care of it. You see in the trend here? Also, if any damage to the drive shaft, they take care of that as well. Those other companies just put a new U-joint in your hand and send you on your way. There may be an ass pat in there. I'm not sure. Tom Woods loves Jeeps. In fact, he has three highly modified Jeeps, so he understands your passion and so do his employees. Tom Woods Custom Drive Shafts are always shipped complete, balanced and greased, and ready to install. They pay attention to the finest details, so you're less likely to run into any issues. If you have ever experienced a drive shaft problem, you know just how important this is. When you research custom drive shafts, there is one name that tops all the list, Tom Wood. Trust them, trust them with one of the most critical parts of your driveline. And from now until the end of June, so like now, you can get 10% off your order using the exclusive Jeep Talk Show promo code. At checkout, just enter JTS18-1, and you'll get the exclusive discount. Promo code not valid with other, any other offer, discount, or promotion. It is only good to the end of June. Visit Tom Woods Custom Drive Shafts today. Go to www.4xshaft.com. Route 16 Off-Road brings you the best gear from the best brands in the off-road community all in one place. From Power Tank to KC Highlights, from Nitro to Crazy Beaver. They've got Poison Spider, Rugged Ridge, Factor 55, Yukon, Rubicon Express, Warren, Tuffy, and many more. As a community-focused brand, they sponsor some great events, clubs, and organizations. From the Uari OHV Jamboree to the Myrtle Beach Jeep Jam. From the Carolina Trails Off-Road Uari Invasion to the Marine Recon Challenge. How about Top Sail Island Jeep Week and 36 hours of Uari Adventure Race? Chances are they're going to be at the event this year you're attending. So make sure and stop by, say hi, or even order your next parts right on the spot in their web orders tent. You can find Route 16 Off-Road on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and even Pinterest. Or just head straight to their website at Route16.com. That's R-O-O-T-O-N-E-S-I-X.com. Route 16 Off-Road. They live the Jeep life, too. 
There's two things now that make me chuckle every time I, I hear about them, at least make me smile. It used to be rabid chup, chipmunk. Don't know why. It just uh, it makes me giggle. And now crazy beaver. Right. <laughs> I actually have... I have one of the shovels right here in my little I'm office. I'm really glad Tammy didn't say I've got myself a crazy beaver. <laughs> All I can say is, uh, <laughs> if you believe the memes, apparently a bipolar uh, beaver is the way to go. From around the world. Or from your city. And sometimes just down the street. Howdy, neighbor. It's the Jeep Talk Show interview. All right, we're going to be switching gears a little bit in this interview from uh, some of the off-road stuff and off-road folks that we normally uh, normally have uh, spoken with to uh, ham radio. Uh, it's it's not like CB. Well, I guess it kind of is if if you compare a supermodel to. Uh, the girl down the street. Uh, it, it's just a lot better than CB. But we have uh, Katie Allen, who is an amateur radio operator, uh, and also who an HRO social media manager. And if you if you you're not into the ham radio, you may not have ever heard of Ham Radio Outlet. But it's a store where you can go and, and get all your uh, ham radio goodies. Uh, Katie Allen's uh, call sign is W Y seven Y L. So that would be what's that? Whiskey Yankee Seven uh, Yankee Lima. Is that is, would that be correct, Katie? I mean, I get or, or yawning lions, <laughs> yellow lions. You know, kind of depends on my mood. Now, now going super nerd here. Uh, the the YL has a, a a bit of a meaning. Is that a a call sign that you a vanity call sign that you got? And and does that YL have the meaning that uh, I think it does? Yes, it actually does. Actually, the entire call sign, the WY seven, is for the Wyoming. And we're in the seventh call area, but it's something that uh, a friend of mine started with the uh, WY7 calls. And then YL stands for young lady, which is a terminology in ham radio that's used basically for any female ham radio operator, whether they're eight or 88. And um, it's it's used affectionately. And um, so I thought it, when I changed my call sign about uh, three years ago, I thought, what what could work pretty good? And so I ended up becoming WY7YL and my mom became a ham radio operator also and she got the call sign of WY7MOM so now everybody knows mom all over the world. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Now I warned you guys about super nerd. All this stuff means right. means stuff to me. Tammy, <laughs> did where did we lose you? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, I actually because of the movie um, uh, what's the movie where the little girl Huh? Contact. Oh, contact. Yeah, I was thinking it was the other no, one with Dennis con- Quaid. Yeah, it was. Oh yeah, it's Jody that Foster. one too. Jodie Foster. Yeah. Contact. Right. But oh yeah. And then there's the other one where they go back into the past and they're on the ham radio. Yeah, and, that was the Dennis Quaid um, one. Yeah, the firefighter yeah, type frequency. thing. Frequency. Frequency. Yeah, yes. of yep. course. Yep. Yep. Right. So I kind of got a little bit of it. So now, Tammy, when you did, start talking technical is when I'll. Now, Tammy, did me. you know that in frequency, the the radio, the old radio that, that he was using uh, to talk to Dennis Quaid, his father, and uh, back in time because of the the special uh, atmospherics that was happening at the time, right. that wasn't a transceiver. You couldn't transmit on it. It was only a receiver. This is the kind of ham nerd stuff that you, <laughs> that ruins movies for you. <laughs> It does. And yeah, people go crazy. Like there was an episode on NCIS not too long ago 
where they were um, supposedly on ham radio, but they were using CB handles and doing all kinds of things. And the <laughs> oh, ham world no. just went berserk yes. on that one. How it's dare like, you? <laughs> well, you know, it's like do some basic research. It's not that hard. You know, Last Man Standing, which um, is now coming back on the air in September on mm-hmm. Fox, um, they had a huge ham radio proponent or component of their show. Oh yeah. Um, Tim Allen actually became a ham radio operator and the executive producer and many of the staff um, are all ham radio operators and they actually have an active ham radio station there. And I got to operate when I was in, we were visiting the show one oh, time. Wow. That's great. And, and that will be a um, component of the show again, because I just saw on Facebook tonight, uh, the executive producer, posted some photos of the radios that he's getting there and getting the ham shack all set up again so needless to say at least when he does ham radio he does it right you know it's it's interesting too because they can't be doing that for a demographic because there's not that many ham radio operators around the world and i think primarily that is i mean one part of it is uh it's uh it's it's not widely known uh, we've seen that we've we've spoken about a couple of movies. I know that uh, The Simpsons have made uh, a fun of uh, ham radio on a few occasions with a, a nerdy guy talking about it, nerdy kid at least at school uh, talking yeah. about ham radio. But but generally speaking, people don't know about ham radio. Uh, and also too, there's a, a a part of it that you have to take a test for. You don't just you know get the radio, hook it up uh, the best way you can figure out. Uh, maybe with a little internet research and uh, say. Hello, you have to actually right. do some studying some and pass some tests. Now, it's much easier these days than it was when I got mine. Uh, I'll, I'll be the grumpy old man uh, about getting off my lawn. When oh, I was no. young, I had to take a Morse code <laughs> test. Oh, boy. Oh, you are old then. <laughs> yes, that is exactly right. Well, I got licensed when I was 16. So, okay. uh, you know, I actually had to go the, the route of finding a amateur radio operator that could administer the novice test to me because uh, oh, okay. that's the yep. way that's the way they did it back then and then you had to right. be a novice you could be a novice i think for 18 months and only do morse code on hf bands and, and i know Correct. i know guys you're not understanding a lot of this but just just hang in there uh, and then you know you could upgrade uh anytime after that if, i mean anytime during that but most people needed the time to practice their morse code to get up to 13 words per minute so that they could pass the test at a FCC field office. So things have, have changed a lot since then. I know we didn't talk about it, but uh, it, uh, do you have do you have any of the information for uh, about attaining a license now, uh, Katie? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I got to tell you, one of the cool things about Morse code, it always saves the world. If you watch any sci-fi oh, movies, yes. it's always being the one thing that saves the world. Like Independence Day. Morse code saves the world. Absolutely. Everybody talks around the world. So, <laughs> you because one of the neat things about Morse code is you know it uses a series of dots and dashes, and it uses a very little bit of bandwidth, so you can talk around the world. For example, I I was able to talk to Antarctica using Morse code, um, getting through on you know through various different places. I've talked all over the world using my voice or Morse code, so it's kind of fun. But you know, if you want to learn about ham radio, there's a lot of places, but I always recommend the first place to start is the National Association for Amateur Radio, which is the ARRL. And if you go to their website, www.arrl.org, um, there is a little section called What is Ham Radio? And it'll talk all about um, the, diff- the different pieces of ham radio and how to get your license. Um, there's actually a place that you can plug in your zip code and find out if there's any ham radio clubs in your area or if there's anybody doing a test session. Um, There's a variety of different books out there now also for taking your test. And 
Now, one thing I have to kind of call you on about it being easier now than it used to be. I, I see that I see this debate a lot, but I gotta say, you know, when you took it, you might have had that booklet that was about three pages long that you had to study, and now there is a question pool with about. No, I don't want to scare anybody. There's like 470 questions that they take the pool from, and then the class, the uh, test is only 35 questions. We literally tonight at five o'clock at our dining room table held a test session. A guy drove here about from about 30 miles away and took his test and passed his license. Um, he had been in a local class here in the area that um, WY7JB was teaching. And um, so, you know, it's really primarily when you get your technician license, which is your first level. And yes, you, it does go through the FCC. So that is one of the biggest differences. So you're basically learning and then showing that you have some knowledge about Safety, which is a really interesting or important part when you first get started so that you don't electrocute yourself. And um, some of the, the legal rules, Part 97 from the FCC, and then some of the basic frequent frequency privileges. There's also a bunch of websites out there that um, have practice test sessions, so you can run through the tests and practice that way. And then, again, there's a lot of ham- amateur radio clubs around that will teach this um, material in a classroom setting and then they'll provide the test afterwards. And then usually there's follow-up and teach you how to get on the air and play around with it and get a feel for it. Um, a lot of people get into it because of emergency communications. They want to be able to help in community service. Um, people get into it for different reasons. And that's one of the fun things. I always say, you know, ham radio has been around for, for a long time. And, you know, sometimes people will say to me, well, you know, isn't that an old technology? Or I'm like, and absolutely not, because... It's always changing and adapting and growing. And we now currently have some new technology where it's all digital. And we like bounce meteor, bounce our signals off meteors and talk to people around the world. Um, talk to astronauts in the space station. You can actually do that with a handheld radio, which I think is really super cool that you can stand in your backyard with a handheld radio, which looks like a walkie-talkie and catch the ISS as they go overhead. Now, if I recall, they uh, make sure that they always have an astronaut with a, uh, a ham license on b- aboard the ISS so that, that uh, you can uh, talk to them or uh, uh, do mm-hmm. packet radio uh, with them. Yes, they, uh, the uh, packet radio is always up and running, and they also do regularly scheduled talks with you know, elementary school classrooms all around the country. There's over, um, we actually have the largest number of hams now than there has been ever in the past, I believe. I think our current numbers are a little over 750,000 hams in, in the U.S. alone. Oh, that's good. And and then, you know, a bunch, you know, a couple of million or a few million more around the world. There's, it's really astounding how many people are there. For example, um, the world's largest ham radio convention just took place last month in Ohio, and the attendance records are up with over 28,000 people attending uh, from all over the world. I mean, that's pretty cool for, you know, a bunch of geeks getting together. We, you know, we all like to have a good time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> My question is, um, why? Why? I mean, is it kind of like an old-fashioned social media thing where you get on there and you just chit-chat with people? Or that's the one thing I never understood is, what do you, what do you talk right. about? Well, there's... Well, you know, actually, we always say ham radio was the original social media, but, you know, you can get on the air and just talk to people. Um, That's what we call rag chewing. And you just get on a frequency and call CQ and might find somebody. 
sometimes people just like to share information about what they've got in their ham radio shack. You know, they might tell the other person about what radio they have and what kind of antenna they're running, how much power. Then there's an, there's a bunch of other aspects. For example, there's a DX, what's called a de-expedition. There's a group of hams that are way down in the, I'm not even sure where they are, somewhere in the Pacific. They're at Baker Island. It's out in the middle of no man's Some land. Some little thing that's about three foot by three foot, and they're all yeah, standing exactly. on this little bitty rock in, in, right. in the middle of the Pacific. It's it's so weird. But I'm sorry, it's, Katie, go ahead. No, no, that's okay. But there's people <laughs> that do that, and you chase them. And, when, you know, there's another aspect, what we call DXing, which stands for basically long distance. So you like to chase and make what we call chase. I, sometimes it's hard to get out of the hammy lingo because I get yeah. so used to talking that way. But for example, I can tur- I can sit in my sh- ham shack, which is where I am right now, turn on my radio, turn my antenna towards Europe and calls, call CQ, which means calling anybody anywhere and throw my call sign and all of a sudden get a ton of people replying to me from many different countries and a lot of times it's just simply to make that quick contact, sharing a signal report, a hello, and checking it off your list. Um, there's also a competitive radio sport, which we call it. And actually coming up next month in Germany is the World Radio Team Championship, which is happening. And these people have, are, are basically competitors. They've earned their spots. It's kind of like the Olympics for ham radio, where they will have 24 hours there's sets of uh, two sets, two people in a team. They will operate on the radios continuously for 24 hours and try to make the most contacts around the world in that time. And then the winner gets, you know, the gold medal. It's And it's really quite quite an honor to actually be, be selected to participate. But again, through these various contests that happen around the year, you earn your placement to get there. Um, we've got some plaques on our walls here for, for contests, but we're definitely not of that caliber. Um, no, you got a question? Yeah, I just want to mention something for the, the listeners about so that they'll understand this. And I didn't understand it myself until one day I was telling my youngest son that I made a contact in Serbia. This is this is several years ago, like 2003 mm-hmm. or something. Uh, I made a contact in Serbia while I was uh, in the parking lot uh, of work. I was uh, the, I, There was probably a pileup and people were calling him. And uh, I jumped in there and made the call. And I, I literally talked to this guy. Uh, off uh, on HF, it was probably uh, 20 meters uh, on nice. basically just a CB 102 inch uh, CB antenna with an antenna tuner attached to it. And I said, uh, you know, it wasn't a long conversation. It wasn't a great conversation. I was mobile, uh, but I was able to make a contact with this guy from you know halfway around the world. And he goes, he, he kind of blinks at me and says, "Did you use the internet? No, <laughs> I used the radio in my Jeep." to talk to him on his radio in his country. Right. He goes, but how did the signal get there? And I said, well, Magic. it bounces up. <laughs> yeah. It bounces off the ionosphere and then comes back down. It may even mount, bounce on the earth and back to the ionosphere several times before it'll actually mm-hmm. get to the station that you're talking to. So folks, this technology is an old technology by using uh, basically the the field around the earth to reflect signals and, and get the signal v- much further away. It is not consistent. It is a challenge uh, to uh, f- be on the right frequency at the right time, and the person that you want to talk to has to be on there at the right time and the right condition. So 
it's it, it's a challenge of things. It's not the internet. It, there's not a multi-billion dollar infrastructure supporting your ability like to listen to this podcast. <laughs> it, <right>. is, <laughs> it is literally a guy, uh, a man or woman, her radio, uh, and somebody else, someplace else in the world, and you're talking to them without anything else. Exactly. And, you know, and I've heard so many stories like that where people are out in their car and they're just, and if the propagation is good, there's many layers to the ionosphere. And based on your license class is where you're able to use different parts of the spectrum that we've been allocated by the FCC. And so for someone who has their technician license, which is the first one, say you decide to get a mobile radio and throw it in your Jeep and you just need an antenna, you could do all of that basically for a few hundred bucks. Yep. And then you could talk, you know, depending on the propagation, I mean, you could use 10 meters if it's open, um, but you could also talk locally using UHF, VHF, and uh, the various repeaters. And a lot of this stuff is outlined, which we could never cover it all right now. No. Cause, and, and I'm glad I mean, you we'll mentioned, just, I'm glad you mentioned the, the VHF, UHF, because I think that's going to be the thing most interesting to our, mm-hmm. our Jeep audience, because it's a, right. a really small little radio. The antenna is much smaller like it than it is for a CB, and right. uh, it can be used in emergency communications, and you can even use it uh, while riding on the trails. Um, so, uh, I don't know, uh, Katie, I think you've been in a Jeep before. Uh, certainly, you know what yep. size a Jeep is, and you can well imagine uh, the difficulty uh, finding the real estate to mount even a small CB radio in there. So right. one of the great things uh, about the uh, two meter, seventy centimeter uh, dual banders, or even just the uh, the VHF radios, is their size. Um, they're very very easy to install in a Jeep. And uh, uh, what this, I mean, I think everybody is probably familiar with CB. Tammy has a CB, and mm-hmm. can you can you give us an idea what the difference is between say two meter FM and uh, CB AM is? Well, sure. At least you know basically with the CB, you're gonna have you have one space that you can use for frequency to talk to people. And if no one's there, that no one's there, obviously. And that's the case with ham radio. Um, Ham radio is going to open up a lot more space for you to talk. It's also going to be a lot cleaner. Um, And the radios are a much better, are really good quality. Um, And the, the technology that's out there now, even for those small mobile rigs that you could put in your Jeep, there's some that have the digital technology in them. So they're actually using digital repeaters or a digital signal mm-hmm. to really clean it up. So instead of analog, you're now using digital. And it's just amazing. I've actually seen, there's some handheld radios now that use these digital um, protocols, basically. And I watched somebody stand there in a parking lot, like in the middle of Alabama at a convention, and talk to somebody in Australia. And it just opens up the world. I mean, literally, it opens up the world for you. But I think with um, being, if you're out and off-roading, it's going to open up probably some more opportunities for you because you have a little bit more um, uh, availability of of the um, frequency. But mm-hmm. I, I guess if you're really totally out in the middle of nowhere, you know, you're going to be limited just as much as you would with the CB. Yeah, but. very true. Line of sight uh, communications is what we're talking about. Now, a repeater right. basically is a uh, uh, not a multi-billion dollar piece of equipment, but uh, certainly oh, no. uh, thousands of dollars or, or a couple of thousand anyway with a, a much greater uh, height antenna than what you have on your vehicle or your little handy talkie, which is also, uh, a lot of people know the term walkie talkie. It's right. just called something a little different for ham. 
And uh, but with the repeater that is uh, taking it takes your signal from your mobile uh, base or a handheld and repeats it out using its 300, 500, 600 foot high antenna and a much higher power. And then everybody can hear you over a much greater distance, 30, 40 mm-hmm. miles even. Uh, oh, more than that. We, yeah, yeah um, it depends. Right. Yeah, we have a repeat. And actually, you can build your own repeater and you don't have to spend that much money on it. It's it's definitely an affordable opportunity. But we have a linked repeater system up here in northeast Wyoming. So we have a repeater that's on top of Warren Peak, which is where I live. I live just a mile away from the National Forest. And that links to um, Newcastle, Wyoming, which is about uh, probably 45, 50 miles away as a crow flies. And then over to Gillette, which is west of us, 60 miles away. And then up into Montana. And then there's another one, which I always forget which part of that is. But it allows me when I go out in my car um, with just a little whip antenna on the back of my of my car to um, turn on the radio and talk to someone who's, you know, way far away that I normally wouldn't be able to if I didn't have that repeater available. Right. And uh, with the uh, the advent of uh, linked repeaters, and it mm-hmm. used to be uh, 2 meters, 70 centimeters, a lot of times 70 centimeters was used to link repeaters together. I think, uh, and correct me on this if I'm wrong, but I think the internet is being used uh, more often now. And I believe they call it IRLP. Uh, and it links these repeaters together. So I know there's a, a repeater system called the Wind System uh, yep. that uh, goes uh, literally all over the world. Uh, I've heard people talking uh, in Israel. Uh, it's uh, three o'clock in the morning here, and the guy was barbecuing in his backyard, talking <laughs> on his little walkie-talkie or handy-talkie. So, oh yeah, these the, are some I, of the things that you can do with ham radio that uh, right. that I, are, are just so exciting, and one of the reasons why you hear. Uh, us nerds getting so excited about it because there's, <laughs> it, it's so hard to explain to somebody. Um, even if you hand it to them and they're talking, you hand this little this little uh, miniature radio to them and they start talking to this person halfway around the world. It, it's mind boggling. Right. Well, the you know the thing about it is there's so much to do with ham radio. Um, we can have a little saying: if you're bored with ham radio, then you're not you're not That's looking right. for something else because. <laughs> You know, there's kit building also, but I was going to share with your listeners about the Internet Radio Linking Project. If you're interested in looking that up a little bit, the IRLP, it's a closed source project, but it links amateur radio stations around the world using voice over Internet. And uh, we actually have an IRLP node on our antenna out here in our backyard. And with our little $25 Bofang handheld radio, we actually link into our friends down in Colorado. Yeah, and that's a really good point, too, about the, the bow thing. Uh, people hate them, but if you're curious about ham radio and you don't and you don't mind spending 30 bucks from Amazon right, uh, or, exactly. or whoever sells them, I don't know if HRO handles them, uh, you can actually nope. get into, uh, yeah, <laughs> I figured they didn't. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can actually get into ham radio uh, or at least listen uh, for, yep. for virtually no cost at all. Yeah, exactly. Tammy, did you have a question? I thought I heard you popping in there. Yeah, I did. Um, thank you. Tony just <laughs> keeps rambling on and on. When I get excited, um, you know how it is. I know. It's like, uh It's the um, ham so, you know. <laughs> exactly. What made you get into this? I mean, it's not typically, well, I don't know. I could be wrong. It's not typically something for females. And you, I always think oh, of, That could be the same thing about said about Jeeps, Tammy. How dare yeah, you? I know. Yeah, I, yeah. I know. <laughs> No, I wasn't criticizing. Really no, no, I know you weren't, and you're right. I'm, I'm definitely one of the 
Um, there's a, actually getting to be a lot more uh, females involved with ham radio, which is wicked cool. But I actually got into ham radio because of a job. Um, I got a job as the membership manager for the ARRL, the National Association. And one of the job requirements was to get my ham radio license. Well, it just so happened that I, that was 12 years ago in April of 2016, uh, 2006. And, um, I got on the air for our annual um, event called Field Day, which just happened this past weekend. And basically what it is, it's a giant ham radio open house that people set up their ham radios in parks and fields and mountaintops and um, make contacts around the country. Literally by working with just using um, solar power or batteries, um, generators, and um, make and talk to people around the country. There's usually at least, you know, like 20,000 different call signs being thrown out over the weekend. But so I got on the air as um, a, a new ham at the time. And I just found it to be so much fun. There was all of these people calling and it really became like a geography lesson. I'm in a listening uh, test, which is really good for kids because, you know, you get them on the air and they start here in these countries or states and you can have a map and it's a great way to start pinning all the places you've talked to. And um, and then the following month, I did an international contest where I was, you know, sitting in a chair and there's all of these people calling and I'm talking back to them. And it's just a quick share of a signal report or what have you. But it was really thrilling. And, it, you know, your adrenaline gets running. And I mean, it's like a, you know, it's a total it is adrenaline rush during these contests. But for me, I was hooked. It was just magic that I realized here I am sitting in this chair in Newington, Connecticut, and I just talked to somebody in a country called Svalbard, and I can't even pronounce it, and nevertheless find it on a map. But he's probably sitting there in his underwear, drinking a coffee, and doing the same thing I'm doing, because it's, you know, the middle of the night for him. And th it just really made me realize how special it was. And as I continued on with the job and just growing in ham radio, I started meeting some really amazing people, and... You know, it's actually how I met my husband and my best friends. And one of the neat things I always say about ham radio is it's a, it's a great leveler of people. You can walk into a room with a hundred other people and everybody is a call. They have their call sign on a badge and it doesn't matter if they're Joe Walsh from the Eagles, yep. a rock and roll star, or if they are Joe Taylor, who's a Nobel winning physicist or a lawyer, a doctor, a truck driver, uh, a maid. It doesn't matter. It's, you know, you are that person, that call sign that you've talked to on the radio and everybody is immediately friends. I mean, we were in Dayton and met up with a couple of uh, people that one of which is a pretty famous engineer. And by the end of the weekend, we were the best of friends and already planning trips to go visit each other and, you know, hang out with them in California. And they're going to come here for a contest. I mean, it's like, it's like you make these immediate and quick connections that are lifetimes and so it's communication in, in so many different ways. And that's part of what I call the magic of ham radio. You know, you could start off with all this needy, you know, nerdy, geeky stuff, which is awesome. <laughs> but then it just goes out to this whole new level. And um, I'm sitting here looking around my ham shack and just seeing some of the um, cards that I've received from people that I've talked to or the books in front of me. And, you know, I have a card from the South Georgia Island Nobody even know where that is, but there was a group of hams that went down there and operated it with the penguins in the background. <laughs> and, you know, to me, it's just that's part of the special 
thing about it. And so, you know, I fell into it by accident. You know, I got it because of a job and then it's just turned into a passion um, and it's it's my life now. So, Tammy, does that sound familiar to you? Yeah, you know, the whole time she was saying that, I'm like, like, you could just replace ham with Jeep because it's the the same thing. There's, you know, I communicate. Yeah, you communicate with people who have Jeeps and you be, you know, you I friend anyone who has a picture of a Jeep on their (laughs) Facebook page, just, you know. And then you meet all these people and you're off-roading and all of a sudden you're in your Jeep and you hear, hey, stop. And it's like, I, hey, Jeep Mama, I follow you on Facebook and you're just immediately friends. And it's That's I totally cool. get what you're talking about. You know, I, th- I think if nothing else, if, if we just let people understand that the thing that we just happened across, everybody out there is probably very familiar with the Jeep family uh, and, and what Tammy's referring to. That's mm-hmm. how it is with ham radio. Uh, you, yep. it's a family and like, uh, Katie said, it is, it's a great leveling, uh, it doesn't matter who you are, where you are in life, just like Jeeps. If you got a ham radio and you pass that test and, and if you were lucky enough to have to pass the Morse code and be a, a great <laughs> ham, uh, <laughs> oh boy. Oh, let me get the shovel out. <laughs> <laughs> then, you know, cause well, you know, there are some hams better than others, but I, but I digress. Um, oh, yeah, whatever. Well, aren't you lucky to talk to me today, then? <laughs> yeah, gotcha. thank you. Gotcha. So uh, we're running a little long here, but I did want to jump in the, the, that story that you were telling us about having to do with Jeeps and, and ham radio for, oh, for yeah. you personally. Uh, I know that... Uh, uh, you've, uh, I know Jeeps scare you a little bit, especially the off-road ones, and I, th- mm. I think it does a little bit all of us at one time or another. But uh, <laughs> you guys, you actually use some Jeeps for uh, other purposes besides uh, off-roading. Oh, yeah. Well, fortunately, a couple of our friends who are hams have Jeeps, and they have a winch on the front of their Jeep, which comes in really handy when you're putting up antenna towers. So um, last uh. fall, we were putting up our new 100-foot tower and putting it up in uh, 10-foot sections, I think it was. And so we'd hook up into, uh, I don't even know how we did it, but basically the, we'd run the winch and the, it would start lifting the pieces of tower up and keep it going. And um, when we put up our first tower, which is 50 feet tall, um, our buddy Dan, who has a Jeep, he went out into the ranch behind us. We just kind of broke through the fence or something. I'm still to this day not sure how he got out there, but... <laughs> you don't want to know. Totally on somebody else's property, but, you know, helping pull up the tower from that side. And it comes in really handy for projects like that. Uh, another need for a winch, Tammy. Yeah, there you yeah, go. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Katie, I'm going to wrap this thing up because we're going way okay. long. And I promised you that we wouldn't uh, we wouldn't take you uh, much past uh, 10 uh, p.m. Uh, our time. Um, so uh, one thing I didn't warn you about, uh, when we haven't talked about HRO, uh, HRO hardly at all. Uh, but I'm sure that the uh, the kids, uh, the people interested in uh, getting ham radios or getting more information, or maybe just uh, getting more information about you, uh, how could they f- uh, find you, follow you on the social media? How could they find HRO? Well, sure. Um, appreciate the shout out for uh, Ham Radio Outlet. If you uh, want to go on, um, if you just type in hamradio.com, you're going to get to my company and check out all the goodies. If you want to follow me personally, I'm on Twitter as at KDWI7YL. And um, pretty much just in Facebook is at WI7YL also. So I'm pretty much everywhere. If you look for WI7YL on the internet, I'm not too hard to find. Now, how hard is it getting into ham radio? We've already talked about you can get into ham radio for like $30, maybe $35 uh, with uh, uh, some of these uh, uh, starter radios. But uh, 
the the the, the learning. I mean, uh, I think I studied uh, the Morse code for about six weeks before I took the test. Uh, I was already a, a nerdy electronics person, uh, so right. the uh, the multiple uh, choice test uh, wasn't difficult for me at all. Uh, what are you seeing as far as uh, uh, when you're giving these tests for these people? How much effort are they putting into it? Um, you know, it varies, but everybody's at least read through the book, or have, and then they do practice tests on the internet. My mom got her first level of her license at 75. Ah, there you go. And there's a very active group of hams, of family down in Florida, the Lees, and the entire family are hams. And the youngest one is, I think, now eight, and she's got either her general or extra class. And if you check out hamradio.world, they've got all kinds of YouTube videos, and um, they do a lot of really neat things. So you can really see how the kids are active in ham radio, and they are probably some of the best examples of an active ham family and all the different things you can do with it. And um, one of the kids, uh, the oldest one, Faith Hannah, and she is Alpha Echo for Foxtrot Hotel, like her name. She actually was just recently asked to participate in the youth on the air activity down in South Africa and had to throw together a GoFundMe to get enough money so they can make this trip. And within, I think it was about two and a half days, the ham radio community came through, not only helped her raise enough money, but then some and um, so, yeah, there's so many different activities out there. And again, ARRL.org is really the first place to start and check out the uh, What is Ham Radio section on it. Yeah, that's great advice. And uh, another important thing, there is no age limit. Anybody that can uh, pass the test uh, can get a license and uh, yep. talk on the radio. Don't talk on the radio if you don't have a license. That's, that's a no-no. Correct. And uh, but- unlike <laughs> CBers, hams will track you down and turn you into the FCC. Because oh, yeah. <laughs> you do not want a lot of shenanigans going on on the ham bands. And that's one of the reasons why it's a lot nicer is because uh, it's uh, self-policing. Katie, thank right. you very much for being with us tonight. Uh, Tammy, I'm glad you were able to get a question, maybe a question <laughs> and a half in there. <laughs> yeah, I got two, at least two. <laughs> so, uh, well, Katie, I- thanks a lot. And we really appreciate you being here with us. Oh, you're very welcome. And thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. It was a lot of fun. Hey, got to say thanks again to amateur radio operator Kitty Allen for taking the time to talk about ham radio, ham radio outlet, and of course, all the other cool stuff that comes with getting your amateur radio operator license. And, uh, well, of course, I got to you know, brag a little bit. I'm, I'm not, uh, you know, the, the license you're not, holder like you're the not Tony out, is. You're not the outside no. looking in, though. You're part of the team. No. I am part of the team. I am part of the team. KG7TPY. Hey, if you have an idea for a guest, or maybe you want to be a guest on the Jeep Talk Show, we'd love to have you. Well, just go ahead over to jeeptalkshow.com slash contact and share your idea for your next, for our, our next great guest or give us your contact information. We'll reach out to you and we'll set things up. Hey, I hope you guys are excited about this. I'm excited about this. Coming up next week, Steve with Advanced Adapters. He is a Jeep owner and uh, actually he's going to wedge us in before he goes on a wheeling trip taking his, uh, his Cherokee. It's a Grand Cherokee on a, a wheeling adventure. And, you know, of course, he works there, so he definitely has an uh, Atlas uh, transfer case in his uh, Grand Cherokee. Uh, he's going to just calling in, Tony, to uh, tell us about that massive recall on all Atlases sold here recently. Um, oh, yeah, you they, keep they, hoping, Josh. <laughs> you just keep hoping. <laughs> Thought I was going to be able to pull one over. On there you that. go. Uh, no, not a chance. That would be funny. From the mind of <laughs> Nikki G. Hey, this is Nikki G. And, uh, I know last week I was complaining about I was having some overheating problems and 
I think I got it straightened out. I got a new radiator. Put in. I got a single row aluminum that uh, surprisingly came from AutoZone for a little over $100, which looks exactly like the one I just pulled out. So either the OEM is radiators from AutoZone or the previous owner put in an AutoZone radiator. But I'll, I'll let you guys know how it works out. It seems to be doing good. But uh, talking about cooling, me and a bunch of friends were discussing the debate about hood vents. Do they work or do they just look cool? And uh, so my question is, is why do they call them french fries when they're obviously cooked in grease? Oh. All right, boys and girls, I'll chat at you later. You have a good one. Bye. <laughs> Hood vents to french fries. <laughs> it's always a 90 degree, if not a 180 with uh, the Dickie G. Yep. Uh, Josh, what's your position on the hood vents? I think you say yes. I say uh, bullshit. <laughs> <sighs> I mixed reviews really i mean i i don't know it you get into a little bit of thermal dynamics here and and yes on paper it seems like you know things would you know it pencils out or whatnot and i it really depends on where you put them how you put them in and 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 what they are but so i'm i'm not going to give a definitive answer yeah, I couldn't remember what your position on it was. Uh, I have found that uh, actually it was Steve 4.3 LXJ that kind of set me straight on it. Uh, he was saying that if you're going to put hood vents on uh, at least a Cherokee, uh, that it needs to be up just above uh, the ran the ran <laughs> the fan and the radiator. You see how I put those two words together? Uh, uh-huh. So uh, it, it it's like two narrow slots uh, just above that. If you want the the air to be able to flow. Uh, through the radiator and up uh, from the fan, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, I say that the hood vents are more for styling uh, than anything else. Uh, I cut a big asshole in my hood and put a, um, um, what do you call this, Cal induction uh, scoop on there, thinking mm. that that would help. And it certainly, I mean, you could feel this 200 degree temperatures come at summer during the summer times just pouring out of the, the, the back of that, uh, that cowl. Uh, but as far as running down the road or just uh, driving around slow, like if you were all, all off road, uh, I didn't see it. Uh, in fact, you know, I probably see, hurt the flow, uh, with the way, with that setup. I'd say that the, the, the biggest advantage is going to be for heat soak. Um, it's for oh, yeah, those, you that. know, I just, I just came off the freeway after doing, you know, an, an hour and a half commute and stop and go traffic in, in August heat. And I got to get myself a Slurpee. <laughs> and I, you know, get back into my Jeep after, you know, getting, getting my, uh, getting my Slurpee on and go to start it up. And it's cha 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 And because now, now all that, you know, fuel in my fuel rails have all, you know, gotten all that heat soak and have nearly vaporized. Right. Uh, so, you know, it's, yeah, on the freeway, out on the trail, yeah, not so much. But, um, you know, when the Jeep is just sitting. And, and, you know, maybe the fan isn't going, but it's still hot under there. Yeah, you get some of that thermal transfer up out of the hood. Yeah. Um, but that, that's, I think, going to be the biggest thing there. Great for grilling hot dogs as well. Oh. <laughs> okay, class, it's time for a review. Let's check it out. Check it out. It's time for Jeep Mama's product review. Yeah, what is it and why do I want it? Well, folks, it's been over a year since I first installed this product, and I thought I'd update you on how things are going, and it's my under-the-sun grill insert. Um, I don't know if you guys remember, but back 
in March, I believe it was on the Jeep Talk Holland show. Um, we had Joe from Under the Sun inserts, and he challenged me to get rid of my purple grill inserts that I had it painted purple and to put in his aluminum grill insert. And we decided on a purple flag, and so I agreed to it. And it was really stressful for me because I was so um, close to those purple inserts, and they were that showed everyone that this is Jeep Mama's Jeep. And so I finally, you know, put the, got rid of them and put in my purple flag and I absolutely love it. Yeah. I just want to mention real quick. I mean, you had these inserts professionally painted. Yes. And powder coated with a a specific purple that you researched and stuff. So you anguished over, you know, do I really want to change these things out? And I think that's, I don't know if it is with every Jeep owner about, you know, you got your your colors and your your exterior look and to change it up, it's, you know, it's like getting a short, short haircut after you've had a long haircut. Um, anyway, it worked out just fine. I love this insert. And the cool thing about it is I could get one for every single month. And just switch it in and out because oh, it's so yeah, really easy. easy, right? Yeah. So I was thinking of Joe. I'm going to let him know that I'm talking about it. But they should do a breast cancer ribbon, and we should oh, all put breast cancer ribbons in our grills. Um. Anyway, it's so easy to do. You just remove your grill, which if you don't know how to do that, it's so easy. You just need a flathead screwdriver, and there's six little plastic tabs, and you just pull them up. You'd pull back the grill slightly. You don't even have to unplug the, um, what are they? Not the fog, not the fog lights. But Signal the other indicators, lights. change lane yes. indicators. Yeah. Yep. You don't even have to unplug those because you just slide this aluminum perforated grill in there. And they're so much easier and they look so much better than those do-it-yourself ideas you see on the internet. They're aluminum inserts. They are so durable and strong. And they're really easy to clean up. All you do is spray off with a garden hose and they come clean. You can even take it out and spray it off with a garden hose, um, especially if you go to Uari and there's no rain. You get dust every in every nook and cranny of your Jeep. So taking it out and spraying it off, it's super easy. Now, like I said, the best part about these things is they're like a T-shirt for your Jeep. You can change one for every month, every season, and they have so many styles. You can go over to their website under thesuninserts.com or they'll even custom make one for you. And their prices range from $110 to $175. But I love mine. It gives your own, your Jeep a unique look. And mine is a purple American flag. And now everybody knows that that's my Jeep. Um, they don't look for the purple rugged ridge grill inserts. So, so I kind of so I kind of had an idea. Uh, if Joe's listening uh, for a, a grill insert, I'm thinking a, a nice bright gold with maybe some simulated diamonds interspaced, uh, like where the uh, for the, the the slots. That's a little blingy. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, and also too, uh, I don't know if you thought about this or not, Tammy, but it also provides you a little more protection to your radiator and uh, right. the, the cooling things there because now it has to go through that aluminum before it can get to those uh, those other objects. Something right. uh, kind of important on a trail, depending on, especially depending on who you're riding behind. <laughs> well, exactly. You you don't don't have to worry about you know sticks, branches. You know the when I went wheeling this past weekend. We were going over down tree after down tree, and when the Jeep in front of you goes over it, you know, it moves that branch or that tree stump. So, you know, it's just, it's, you know, not going to protect it 100%, but it does give it a little bit more protection. Hey, do you have an idea for a product review? Go visit our contact page at the JeepTalkShow.com website. And let us know what you'd like to hear about on our next product review. And coming up in a few minutes, folks, Josh is going to share with us some cool events to take your Jeep wheeling in Wheeling Wear. Josh, I just got to say I'm so proud of you. You're all buttoned up and uh, taking it off-road this weekend, right? <laughs> no, not not quite. I, I am buttoned up, though, so uh, thing, things have progressed uh, quite well. Once uh, Novak finally uh, came through and, and fixed uh, the issue that I had with the rebuild kit that I got that had a, uh, a couple wrong parts in it, uh, things kind of uh, progressed rather quickly. Uh, the transfer case is done. I managed to spend a little bit of time in the final uh, final assembly process and whatnot, doing a little bit of cleaning up and a little bit of dressing. I, I sent you guys uh, some pictures oh, off uh, off the air. Great uh, colors, chat. Great colors on there. Oh, <laughs> yeah. and, and, real, and real quick, yeah, I just yeah. want to make sure uh, <laughs> that we don't uh, badmouth Novak. Uh, Mo Novak didn't actually give you wrong parts in the kit. They sent you the wrong kit for the wrong. Yeah, year. The, ultimately that that's what it was. Is is I got the rebuild kit for the earlier model transfer cases. Uh, just a slip up. It is literally one number difference, and yeah. so operator probably scrambling to finish the orders that day. Just well, grab the he was one like, instead oh, of the God, other. This is this is the Josh from the Jeep Talk Show. I gotta I get, exactly. I gotta get this. <laughs> I gotta get this out. I gotta get it to him. <laughs> I was thinking the exact same thing. He's like, holy crap, this is no, Josh. I, in fact, I didn't let them know who I was or who I was with or anything like that until oh, you with that. <laughs> until after everything was all said and done. And I, I told him, I, you know, after the 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 issue was resolved and whatnot, I told him I was like, hey, you know, I, I got this little thing that I do over here on the side, and uh, uh, just I wanted to let them know I was, I was going to be talking about them and and that I was going to be talking about them in a good light. Now, Novak Adapt is is a great website to go for everything that you need to know about transfer case or transmission um really any kind of transmission or transfer case knowledge you want to know about about your jeep novak adapt has that information and uh even some tips and tricks about how to upgrade your uh, upgrade your transfer case or transmission as well what's compatible what's good for horsepower etc 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 so um i've been really impressed with the with the people and they went out of their way to make sure the issue was resolved so once again hats off to novak adapt uh, they took care of me, and they will take care of you, too. Uh, and because of their excellent customer service, uh, the transfer case is finally done. I managed to do a full bench check on it, and everything is working great. Uh, now, I can't simulate a load on it until it's in the Jeep, and I can't really complete that until I get uh, my driveline issue fixed. So I've got a stuck slip yoke. I've 
gone through a, a couple of uh, procedures to try and unstick it myself. I'm really not looking forward to dropping, uh, you know, three, four, five hundred dollars right now on on new driveline work. Um, so I'm go- doing my best to try and take care of this myself. Um, and if not, then uh, well, I'll be making some calls, and uh, I've got a couple few companies that I'll uh, that I have it narrowed down to what I'm going to do, uh, who I'm going to be spending my money with. So, so I know uh, I, I know I told you about that one company that uh, Ryan Ward on uh, Facebook uh, told me about. I want right. to say Talon, but it's not Talon because I always think of uh, Napoleon Dynamite. You're, you're close. Instead of L's, <laughs> instead of L's, there's T's. Okay, uh, <laughs> so uh, you know he was telling me that he got one built for uh, two hundred and a quarter. Now I, I probably was a thirteen ten. Uh, I don't know, but it was certainly I think worth checking out. Yeah, I mean, I would like to go thirteen. I was figured if if I'm going to be doing this, I might as well go ahead and do an upgrade. Uh, so we'll see how that ends up going, whether or not I, I end up actually going 1350 or not. Um, well, don't let this be like the damn, uh, engine thing where you go, you know, since yeah. I'm in here, let me, yeah. uh, <laughs> <laughs> we need you out on the trails. It's summer, and pretty soon. It's Josh summertime. has got a pair of sixties underneath yeah. the Jeep. It's, it's and, yeah. summertime. You need to be out well, there on the trails, man. So the re- the reason why I'm, I'm kind of hee-hawing about this is because the, the drive line I have right now has a stuck slip yoke. It's, it's yeah. completely seized up. So, you know, I, I can't. In, for all intents and purposes, just put that in the Jeep. One, I don't know if I'm going to be able to get it in there and get it lined up because it's it doesn't move. Uh, so uh, the other issue is even if I could get it in there, uh, am I going to damage something by having that in there? I would hate to oh, have you, you know you don't uh, damage to my output shaft case. and my transfer case yeah. because my drive line won't compress as I you know go over that bump. So you know I uh, yeah I, I'd rather take care of it the right way. Uh, versus trying to jimmy rig something just for the sake of getting the Jeep back on the road. Much, now, you put too much work into that transfer case to, to risk it. Uh, really, though. Really, though. So, um, yeah, that that's where I'm at with that. Uh, this weekend, the transfer case will be going in so I can get my measurements. Uh, so if I do have to buy a new driveline, um, I've got all the numbers that I need uh, when I'm talking to the people that are going to be doing that for me. And, you know, don't forget about, uh, I mentioned that place that Ryan Ward talked about. Uh, don't forget to go over to uh, Tom Woods and uh, price him out there, too, because you know how, how quality gonna a product. Number, he's going to be my number one call. Yeah. Actually, he might be my last call because uh, well, you I'll know be where, talking with these other. These yeah, others you know where to go. Like, you know you can always yeah. go there and get, get a great product. So uh, what's going on uh, with you, Tony? How's, how's that Atlas treating you? Uh, it's really good, and uh, but i got to defer to Tammy. Uh, she's going to explode if she doesn't get to, to mention this. Oh, <laughs> she's got some bragging rights here. That's right. Tammy, some congratulations are you, in order. I figured they? that's why you skipped her. <laughs> no, no, I actually, I actually forgot all about this. This is kind of a big deal, folks. Tammy recently uh, got some recognition. She got some kudos from, uh, well, some higher ups, really. And uh, this is definitely worth talking about. Tammy, congratulations are definitely in order. Oh, thank uh, you. So, yeah, uh, really good job. Yeah, it was a a big surprise Monday when I went and checked my email. Um, I got an email from the founder of Feedspot, which is kind of like a Google reader type thing. I'm not all familiar how that all works. But anyway, um, I was awarded one of the top 15 Jeep blogs on the internet by Feedspot. And I had a ranking, if you go... They ranked all the top 15 um, Jeep blogs, and I was number 12. So um, 
that was really exciting. And um, if you want to go check out more, you can go over to my blog at www.jeepmama.com and um, I share um, the award and I have a blog bling on my blog now. I have the little medal that's on the, the front page of my blog. So very exciting. They used a bunch of criteria, Google reputation and Google search ranking, my influence and popularity on Facebook, Twitter, and other social media sites, the quality and consistency of posts, and the feed spots, editorial team, and expert review. So anyway, honored and humbled to be part of a great group of bloggers. Yeah, that's a great job there, Tammy. And you know, um, I don't know if you guys know this or not, but uh, the internet's kind of a big place. And uh, blogging has been going on for a long, long time. <laughs> to be in the, yeah, top, in the top 15 of uh, any blogs, I think, is pretty damned amazing. So, very exciting. I'm going to happy hour with my friend tomorrow, and we're going to celebrate. Well, you don't have to be happy just for, just for the hour, Tammy. You can be happy before and after. Oh, so, yeah. It will be a long time. <laughs> almost. Tammy's, Tammy's uh, uh, news there is Almost as good as an Atlas transfer case. Not quite. <laughs> it's close. It's close. <laughs> no, anyway, the uh, the Atlas is doing fine. Uh, I did notice that I took about uh, uh, a uh, three quarters of a drop uh, in mile per gallon uh, on my gas mileage, and this isn't ballparking it, people. I measure my mile per gallon air on every fill up, and have been doing so since 2010. Uh, pretty much the whole time anal about that yeah it's a it's an app on my phone it just takes you know i gotta do i gotta read the numbers anyway might as well stick them in the phone and it calculates the uh the uh the miles per gallon for me so uh i'm i'm back up to the uh the 12 something it 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 varies between uh 12 to 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 13 and uh but i was i saw a definite uh, drop and i was a little concerned uh after putting that in there you know (laughs) because as i like to say no good modification goes unpunished uh, but, uh, it looks like, uh, after about, uh, two or three weeks here of driving it, it's, uh, must've broken in, loosened up a little bit and, uh, is doing better. I haven't been under there. I noticed, uh, right after I got it installed, uh, I was doing something, a modification I needed to do to, uh, to something underneath there. And, oh, I was putting the front drive shaft in and it was like a solid two hours after I had gotten home and that transfer case was, was so hot. I couldn't have my hand on it, uh, just the back part of my hand resting on it for longer than, you know, 10 or 15 seconds before it just got painful to do. So uh, anyway, I, I haven't checked that, but uh, I'd like to uh, see if the, uh, I'll be, I'll be doing some work on it pretty soon. So I'll, uh, I'll, I'll get to find out if it's, uh, if it's cooled down a little bit as well. I suspect it has. And you know, dumbass me, I didn't even ask about this. It just kind of dawned on me. You know, I wonder if there's a break in, I wonder if you're supposed to change the fluid after a certain number of miles or something. So I went and looked it up and yeah, it's the standard 500 mile thing, uh, like you do for diffs and everything else. And when you uh, change the, uh, the gears, uh, so uh, I've ordered me some, uh, uh, transfer case, uh, fluid, uh, uh, via Amazon. It's God, that stuff is expensive. It was like 40 bucks for a gallon. And, uh, uh got the same red line MT 90 and, uh, going to be doing a, uh, the first uh, fluid change, uh, on the Atlas. Uh, and also too had a little bit of vibration when I first got it in there on under heavy acceleration. Uh, that is all but gone. So, uh, very happy with that. Uh, looking uh, very forward to this upcoming week, not only for the 4th of July, 
Uh, and we will be having a show on July 5th, folks. So the, the show will come out on July 6th, a uh, new show every Friday. And uh, so uh, looking forward to uh, July 5th because uh, going to be visiting a uh, uh, an axle uh, installation uh, place, uh, axle person, uh, to install my ARB lockers. Got all the, uh, the goodies, the parts uh, checked out, make sure I got everything I need. Ordered some uh, some Timken bearings uh, for the uh, for the lockers, and um, if uh, if all goes as planned, I should have uh, should be uh, fully locked uh, for not the next episode, uh, but uh, I guess that would be uh, three forty one. Uh, so we may be talking about how fun it is to uh, drive back and forth to work fully locked and in four low. Oh, Tony! <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> Well, hey, would you guys like to join in on the fun? Come around the campfire, pull up a chair, crack a beer. We'd love to have you. Go to jeeptalkshow.com slash contact. Find all the ways you can reach out to us and join in on the fun. Hey, coming up Saturday, June 30th, 1 p.m. to 4 p.m., we have the fourth annual LKN Jeep Styles Show and Shine. I know, last minute, guys, <laughs> but uh, this one is really for a good cause. It's going to be happening at the Primal Brewery in Huntersville, North Carolina. They're going to have a toy drive for the Hemby Children's Hospital going on. It's kind of like their Christmas in July type of thing, if you will, or kind of June, if if uh, uh, sorry, thereabouts. Anyways, uh, there will be a cornhole tournament there, uh, if you guys are uh, into that sort of thing, and uh, trust me, it's a family-friendly game if your mind is in the gutter like mine. A uh, oh huge God. raffle. There is a huge <laughs> raffle with a bonus 50-50 raffle going on as well. And, well, if you want to join in on the fun, come be a part of a record-setting Jeep stack as well. I uh, got some pictures from uh, years prior. Looks like a blast. So, so if you're in the uh, the Huntersville area, go check them out. So I'll just mention. Guess, I, um, go uh, ahead. Nikki G will be there. Oh, I was just going to say, and I think, uh, I believe Brian said, that uh, they were yes. Route One Six was invited to go out there, so I think they're going to be dragging their tent out there, and uh, you can yep. go over there and uh, say hello to Brian and his bunch at Route One Six, and uh, maybe uh, buy a little something, and and maybe you can tell me when you go to the web orders tent, is there a a computer setup where you go to the internet and order, or uh, that's the, I don't understand how the web order tent works. <laughs> maybe we should call Brian and ask. Him. No, I want to hear from the folks. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I want to hear from you guys if you're planning on going to Louisiana Wheeling for Warriors happening later in July, 27th through the 29th at the Catahoula Recreation Off-Road Park in Sicily Island, Louisiana. I'm sure I pronounced that wrong. Uh, we'll have a link for more information to that in the show notes for this episode on JeepTalkShow.com. The uh, fifth annual Jeep Beach Potluck is happening July 28th, 10 a.m. sharp at the beach at Grant Park in South Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I want to thank uh, Isaac S. for submitting that one as well. Uh, we got Big Snatch Off-Road presenting the Old Dominion Jeep Fest happening August 11th through the 12th. That's happening at the 1781 Brewing Company and Wilderness Run Vineyards in Spotsylvania, Virginia. Uh, for more information on that, head over to olddominionjeepfest.com. And speaking of Jeep Fest, it's the big one, everybody, the Toledo Jeep Fest happening August 10th through the 12th. It's a weekend-long event, guys. Pretty much all of downtown Toledo is going to be taken over, as well as the Seagate Convention Center. This thing has gotten so big uh, that they're pretty much just taking over the whole town. Uh, Jeepers from over 22 states have been confirmed uh, to be going over to this event, for it is pretty much the largest Jeep celebration in the land. Uh, world, uh, world record Jeep parade, uh, you guys already know about that. And, of course, one of the largest Jeep-only show and shines ever. Uh, for more information on this event, uh, head over to ToledoJeepFest.com. 
And uh, Tony, there's a uh, event happening in your neck of the woods that you have a, a bit of a hand in happening uh, also in July. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yep. On July 14th, uh, I am going to be taking my uh, my nice bright red Jeep with my uh, a freshly painted Atlas, red Atlas uh, transfer case. Uh, you did and- not paint that thing red. <laughs> well, rumor has it I, I did. I swear to God. <laughs> So, and hopefully I'll be fully locked for the July 14th event. But if you, uh, if you're in Texas or you want to drive to Texas, uh, and, uh, uh, meet me and, uh, some other folks out there, uh, at uh, a local, uh, Marble Falls, uh, off-road park, just uh, go over to the Jeep talk show, uh, uh, actually, uh, uh, facebook.com slash Jeep talk show and uh, look for the event. Uh, and you can sign up there, get more information about the park and uh, where to go and uh, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, I'm uh, hopefully planning on being there uh, when the park opens at 8 a.m. on July 14th. It will just be for the day and uh, come on out, get some pictures, uh, get some stickers and uh, you know, we'll get into some shenanigans. What was the worst that could happen, right? Oh, knock <laughs> on wood. Don't even get me starting to worry, you know? I don't have a lot of experience going off-road, so I'm afraid every damn thing and its mama is going to break and I'm going to uh, be so far I'm, I'm from more, home. I'm more worried about the listeners being in close proximity to you, so that's that's yeah. that's what yes. I'm worried about. All right, and I we didn't put this on the list, and I wanted to make sure we got a shout-out because this is actually uh, happening next week, July 4th. Uh, Brian Fry... In, uh, in Pennsylvania, the Wilds Jeepers are going to be doing a uh, July 4th parade event with a lot of Jeeps. And uh, we sent them a, 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 a no, I don't want to say a bunch, but we sent them several Jeep Talk Show stickers. So this is yet another way that you guys can get a sticker. So uh, if, uh, if you're out there in the Pennsylvania area uh, and you know about the Wilds Jeepers, uh, I'm sure you can find, uh, find them online uh, and you know about the event, uh, go out there and uh, tell Brian Fry, I want a damn sticker. Hey, do you know of an off-road event coming up? Shoot us an email with some details. Have you been to a Jeep event recently? Well, we'd love to hear from you. Just go to our contact page at jeeptalkshow.com slash contact. Folks, and don't forget, you can go check out my YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search Jeep Mama. And if you're looking for a professional commercial produced for your product or your business, hit me up at thevoiceofjosh.com. That's it for this week, guys. Until next week, be sure to follow, friend, like, subscribe, and above all else, be sure to tell a friend about the one and only Jeep Talk Show. So no matter where you're wheeling, if you pack it in, pack it out, and don't wheel where you're not supposed to. Remember to always tread lightly, and if you'd like to learn more about the Tread Lightly principles, head over to www.treadlightly.org. Warning, listening to the Jeep Talk Show is done at your own risk. The Jeep Talk Show is not responsible for lost or stolen items. Please ensure that your Jeep is locked, preferably in the axles and not with your keys left in the ignition. Because that would suck and nobody likes sucky things. (laughs) Podcasting since 2010.